Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Felicity Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Hey, hey, welcome to the Keeping It 100 radio segment, Empowered Voices. I'm Valeria Garcia, certified health coach, type 1 diabetic, women's wellness coach and mentor inside Needles and Spoons, and alumni of our signature program, Keeping It 100. Inside this segment, I hold space and interview individuals, leaders, and supporters from the T1D community to share their story, journey, experiences, and wisdom to empower, inspire, and share their light. To find these conversations live, join us inside the T1D Judgment-Free Zone Facebook group. All right, we are live. Okay, everyone, this is Val, and I'm so excited to bring another episode of Empowered Voices. We have a very special guest named Chris, and he's going to share all about his experience with type 1 diabetes, his journey, and also his journey and companionship with a diabetes alert dog. So we're so excited to have you here. Start us off, let us know more about you, and yeah, how many years you've been in type 1? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, thanks so much for having me on. Really excited to be here chatting with you. Um, I've been type 1 for 24 years. Um, I was officially diagnosed around four years old, 28. Um, so looking back, you know, it really is all I've known for the most part. Um, but along with that, of course, comes just different life experiences that make diabetes, um, have made diabetes a little more, what's the word, um, you know, overt or exposed in my life. And at other times, it's a little more, it's a little easier to manage and, and less so of a, uh, at the forefront of my life. Um, but, you know, along the way, I've, I've actually, you know, believe it or not, actually quite grateful for, for having diabetes. I think it's opened a lot of doors in my life. And looking back, um, it's just led to a lot of interesting and cool experiences, one of which was, was Cato um, and had Cato. Unfortunately, you know, put Cato down at the beginning of this year, but had him for um, almost, almost 11 years. And uh, it, it was amazing and, and uh, really looking forward to, to kind of sharing more around that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is all fun. So I'll give you guys a side note of how Chris and I (laughs) actually met each other. So we were inside of Trader Joe's and my local Trader Joe's. Yeah. And he actually approached me because he saw my Dexcom with a patch. And so it kind of just started that conversation for us to like get connected and, you know, finding community like that in your actual community is really very unique. And so I was so happy that you came up to me and we started a conversation and shared some resources with each other. And, you know, for me, this is the first time that I've actually had a conversation just about the diabetes alert dogs. I really don't know much about it. I don't know. I don't have any other people in my life that have had a dog um, that supported them. So this is all really special. And yeah, that's how we met. So I think this is so cool that you're able to join and just share more about your journey. And I'm learning alongside with you guys as he shares. So this is going to be um, really fun. Yeah. Yeah. The way we did meet was, was interesting, pretty fun. Um, if you would have caught me a year ago, you know, Cato, Cato and I would have been in there together, um, which you, you would have been able to meet him. But I think, I don't know if this is the same for you. Obviously, I think you have, um, by doing what you do, you have quite a bit of contact with other diabetics and whatnot. But I now I'm starting to see more people wearing their perhaps the Dexcom is becoming more popular um, for that reason. I've had it for a while. Um, 
but I'm starting to see more and more people wearing their Dexcoms or their Libres, um, you know, on their arms and out in open. I always make sure to go over and say, Hey, like cool Dexcom, cool Libre, you know, and show mine as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that too. I've definitely noticed that too. Even just this summer, I feel like there's been multiple times where I was like eating out or at the beach and I'm seeing so many more people and it is really fun when you can initiate that conversation, just like, Hey, and I feel like there's something really special about when you see that it's like, we understand, you know, totally. kind of like the journey it's like we automatically become friends because we just understand, you know, the ups and downs and the struggles and the connections. It's yeah. really special to, and I, I appreciate when people come up to me and say something, I'm like, Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> it's yeah. like the best moment. Yeah. It's really yeah. cool. Immediate icebreaker, common ground right away. Um, I've always, I've had great conversations, you know, with yeah. doing exactly that as, as you and I did in Trader Joe's right next to yes. the, uh, right next to the produce. <laughs> I know, right. I know that was great. Awesome. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's nice to hear more about your journey too, of just, you know, you were diagnosed when you were younger. Um, if you want to share a little bit of just like how that journey was getting diagnosed sure. at such a young age and kind of where you're at today. Yeah, absolutely. I will. Um, so I, 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 I honestly can't look back and say that I do remember a time without diabetes. Um, I think maybe at times, I think I do, it's hard to say, but back when I was first diagnosed, um, I think pumps were a thing. They just weren't very common. They weren't very accurate. They weren't very reliable. Um, so, you know, I was doing you know, upwards of 10 injections a day, you know, Lantus before bed, not, not at, at that age, you know, my parents were, my dad is a diabetic. He's a type one, a healthy diabetic. Um, his parents were both diabetics as well. It's so pretty strong on his side of the family. Um, and you know, yeah, I got it. I got it pretty young. He didn't get it until he was, um, in his thirties. So we've actually almost had diabetes around the same, around the same time. Uh, he and I have learned, you know, a lot from each other, bounce a lot of things off of each other as well. Um, but yeah, growing up, it was, it was all that I really knew. Um, and it was always kind of a, I kind of liked the attention I would get, you know, at a young age, uh, being in school and, and, um, you know, testing my blood, pricking my finger. And I, I did like that. Honestly, it was, uh, it wasn't probably until like puberty until I, you know, puberty started kicking in and I was getting a little uh, hormonal, if you will, that I, I started to realize like, I don't, I don't like this. I don't, you know, this is, this is, it became tougher, if you will. Um, and that was, that was a struggle. I, I really, at that time, my, my parents have always been a great, great support system. Really, really great. Especially my mom has been an awesome, awesome um provider and, uh, and area of support as I, as I grew up from being young into puberty and, and really had to lean into her heavily. Um, once things started to get tough, you know, uh, looking back, it was definitely my own, you, you know how it is. Like it was just my own, um, just, just life, I suppose. Uh, and kind of was angry at, at diabetes and, um, angry that I had it. Um, but now looking back, it's a time that I remember vividly. And now that I've, you know, matured and come out of that, it's, it's certainly become something that I look to, uh, help others with who are currently in that, that situation. Again, a time I do remember very vividly, I was very unhappy with what was going on as far as diabetes was concerned and jealous of those who didn't have it. And, um, you know, and, and the freedoms, if you will, that they had 
Um, but looking back, uh, really the, the, the sacrifices we make are minimal. Our disease is absolutely manageable. Um, and it wasn't, it was once I started to kind of look around and get a, a kind of an unselfish picture really detached from, uh, focusing on myself and realizing in the grand scheme of things with all the other complications, illnesses and diseases that are out there, you know, how lucky am I that I have diabetes that is absolutely manageable. I have all these tools and technologies around me to, to help support myself. Um, and fast forward, you know, along the way, the Cato comes along and makes things even that much easier. And, uh, and so, yeah, my, my relationship with diabetes now is, is great. Like I I'm in sales. Um, I do, you know, spend my day talking, making friends and telling stories. And I can't tell you how often diabetes comes up, right. I, I, uh, strategically, if you will, you know, oftentimes where, you know, my decks or something on my arm, I think it's like, we kind of talked about earlier, it's a conversation piece, it's an icebreaker um, for diabetics and non-diabetics alike. Um, but I had, you know, just for example, I just went out with a client. We are, I was in Chicago last week, took a client out to dinner. Um, her and I are chatting and uh, dessert comes around, right? So a company's covering our dinner and, and dessert comes around and I had a bite or two and, uh, and she had a, you know, a couple bites and I thought she was more or less just being polite. I think she probably thought the same with myself. And she asked what I thought about the dessert. And it was honestly, it was phenomenal. It was delicious. Um, but jokingly I had said, well, you know, I'm, I'm diabetic. I, I, I can't, can't eat too much of that. Well, not jokingly, but lightheartedly. Um, she thought I was joking and, uh, and I could kind of see this look on her face of like, that's not very funny. And I, I, I said, no, really, I'm diabetic. And she goes, are you really diabetic? I said, yeah, I'm type one diabetic. And then she shows me her arm. She's got her Omnipod on. She had oh, her, yeah. uh, her decks on her thigh. And, you know, from there it was, it was, uh, again, you know, just a great conversation and just again, an area to connect and, um, stuff like that. I think it's really fun. And that's when I shared about what you do and, and whatnot. And so she's, she's, uh, going to be excited to listen to this as well. Oh my gosh. Wow. That was such a great, you know, reflection of just like your life with diabetes. I felt like I was standing right there with you. That was great. <laughs> and well, there's so many things I wanted to touch on. Well, first, I think, you know, how interesting to have so many people in the lineage of your family that have diabetes, because I think, mm-hmm. like you said, you're like pre-exposed to that, like lifestyle, what it looks mm-hmm. like, what it means. Um, which I think is really unique. And I also, I always think it's so interesting how it can really be in like a lineage of a family. I have another friend who there's, you know, multiple type one diabetics in her family, uncles, cousins, mom. So I always thought that was so interesting. Like, hmm, I wonder, you know, what that would look like for me to have had someone else in my family to kind of just talk about it and not feel so alone in some of those moments. But it sounds like you had great support either way. And your mom was really there for you in those times. And you know, it's always interesting to hear someone diagnosed at a younger age to then now where they're at, because you really go from that big, big responsibility on your parents to then that shift as you become a teenager, you become older, and then that responsibility responsibility really falls, you know, fully onto you as, yes, your hormones are changing, life is changing, you're dating, you know, you're doing all these new things all at once. Um, so I can see how, you know, that felt all consuming and super overwhelming. Absolutely. It was, um, having it so prevalent on my dad's side. I I mean, I'll be honest, you really do see the good, the bad, and the ugly. You see those who manage it well and those who don't. Um, and above all, my mom was absolutely the, the strongest support I had. And she's not diabetic, but she certainly was the one who was there for, uh, she, I mean, she would show up from, 
kindergarten to, to fifth or sixth grade, uh, you know, at lunch, test my blood. This was back, you know, when we're estimating carbs and, and, you know, okay, like saying, uh, you know, your blood sugar is this and what's your, uh, you know, your insulin sensitivity. And we're like count estimating it on our fingers. And um, as far as that responsibility goes, she put a lot of responsibility on early in a good way, in a great way, just because knowing that one day it's going to be on me. Um, of course she was there every step of the way, but I, I, I remember, you know, giving myself injections around five years old and, um, and her kind of patiently waiting with me as I counted and estimated carbs. And and we have that, you know, the carb book, but I think perhaps you can relate to this. I, I think it's like a, probably one of my best talents that I can pick and choose anything and be pretty much within like three or five carbs of, you know, how many carbs are in that, that thing, whatever it may be. Um, but that came, you know, from a young age and okay, we're going to have a, you know, uh, some, a sandwich, right. Two pieces of bread or whatever else, an apple with that. And then going into the book and finding apple and going to see how many carbs are in an apple, you know, and then how many carbs are in two pieces of bread. And, um, so yeah, responsibility wise, um, my mom was, was huge on instilling what management looked like. Um, how to manage it properly and and also there to you know lend a lend a hug and an ear when 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 times called for that as well. Um and then kind of had the example of my dad as well, just um someone going through it on a day-to-day basis. My dad's a was a hardworking guy and uh is a hardworking guy. And um and so the relationship there was just more or less observant, watching him do it. Um he would he would I I, I was definitely at, from a young age worried to get to get injections that overcame that relatively quickly, but that was a scary thing at first, especially going to get your blood drawn and whatnot. Um, so as far as the injections were concerned, you know, he'd lend a, you know, it's going to be all right, man. You're going to do, you're going to be all right. And um, so it was good. It was good. Good support system all the way around, that, which yeah. I think is critical. I think is important. Looking back was critical. Um, absolutely. And, and just to have a, that sort of setup in my life was, was really important. Oh yeah. I think, you know, in those moments in the beginning is really where you start to create like that culture and relationship with diabetes, right? It can mm-hmm. go one way or the other. And obviously over time, as we evolve and expand as people, it can shift and change. But I think really like those core relationships with like food, your management, injecting all of that, the carb counting, um, it all comes from, yeah, that culture of, you know, the support around us, how we feel and all of that. So it's really interesting to hear, you know, all of the dynamic, but it sounds like that support was amazing. And I'm so happy that you had that. It's great. Yeah. You're totally right, Val, that it's, it's that, that culture, right. That you, that you had just explained. I always find it really interesting. I think you had shared with me that you got diabetes later on in life. Those I always think that's really interesting. I mean, that was a, that must've been a, in a weird way, I was almost lucky to get it so young. It it, it really wasn't a drastic life change. Um, it was just what I come, came up knowing, knowing, pardon me. And then, uh, but then to hear, you know, your story, and how you got it later on in life, I think that would be a drastic, incredibly drastic life change and probably quite um, intimidating at first, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So if you're new on the pod, haven't heard my full story, but yeah, I was diagnosed older. So after college, I went to the Peace Corps. I was living in Costa Rica. I was 23 and getting diagnosed with type one diabetes, never would have expected that one. It was definitely a big curveball. And yeah, even just looking now, you know, I don't like to do the comparison, but realistically, you know, I've lived more of my life without type one diabetes and I've been a type one diabetic now for six years. And just in these six years, it has 
such a big part, obviously, of my day and my life that I don't even like think about the other half because once that switch happened, I feel like in my mind, my body, I just knew that I fully needed to like embrace and accept it. But in order to do that, I wanted to feel confident in like the decisions I was making. I wanted to feel comfortable in like a community of people. I didn't want to feel super alone. And I think that was a struggle when you're an adult. I think it's like weird almost to ask for help in your health like that. Like it felt a little bit uncomfortable, um, but I was so happy when I did find a community and I found other people that were around my age to just talk about it because, you know, it really does seep into all areas of our lives because it is our day-to-day you know, experience and even just like dating again or going out to restaurants, like social settings, going to a party or an event, a wedding, you know, going to all these different events, it was definitely different for me. And I really struggled with, is this something that I'm going to be open about and share with people? Or is it something that I'm going to hide? You know, that was like a big struggle for me. But once I was able to break past all of that and just be like, whatever, this is like part of me, it's on my body. I'm not embarrassed so many doors, like you said, opened and so many connections. And yeah, I've just been able to fully like, you know, this is just who I am and it feels good and it doesn't feel separate anymore. It feels super part of me. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, um, a big change. (laughs) Yeah. I had to like come back. Yeah. I was like in a different country and then coming back here, I was like, Oh my gosh, I had sold my car. Like, you know, I just had to start literally at zero and, you know, even getting a new job again and then explaining like, I'm a type one diabetic. And, you know, a lot of people around me and in my life didn't necessarily know what type one diabetes was. Um, you know, everyone's mostly aware of just type two diabetes. So everyone in my family wasn't fully like understanding and, you know, they go back to like, oh, did you eat something weird in Costa Rica? I'm like, okay, let's start (laughs) start at the beginning. I'm like, yeah, no. Um, But, you know, just like you said, it it is a a great conversation starter. And I love how you were out, you know, working. And it so happened that, you know, the client or the person you're with was a type one diabetic too. I think that is, you know, it's like, what are the odds? I always say like, what are the odds? But it's like, our, our, uh, our paths always tend to cross at like the best times and it's just great. You just make a new friend and you're like, awesome. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I think, I think you you hit the nail right on the head, you know, it's the opportune time when it does happen and it always seems to be quite coincidental when it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the podcast I had, you know, just before this one, I was trying out like a new drink and I really liked it. And so I like researched it and it turned out that, you know, one of the guys that started it was a type one diabetic. Again, I was like, what are the odds of this? I never feel like I need to like research a new drink or food so intensely, but I just felt called to do it. And what do you know? We had them on the podcast. It was really fun. And again, a new friend, a new person um, share. Yeah. So it's awesome. (laughs) Um, Sorry. go Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think what you're doing is fantastic. I think creating a community um, instead of having to find one, right? Like you are creating this for others and kind of what you just explained, meeting people at the opportune time. And um, I, you know, pretty encouraging thing and, and really awesome. I think it's great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that. And, you know, it's all needed. It's like, I just felt like there's no need for us to feel alone when there are so many people that are like so willing to connect and like just be loving and kind, you know, it's, it's really special. Um, Okay, so tell us, let's like hear all about your experience with 
Cato, how that even came to be, like what sparked that? Like, I want to get a dog. What's the experience like? I am so interested in this. I'm like, I want a dog. I want to learn. You bet. Well, first of all, highly recommend one. I mean, it's amazing. My A1C went from, I think like almost seven to five, eight with, with Cato. Um, uh, they are incredible. The way it happened again, coming, going back to my mom, I, I, no joke. I, I was getting ready. I had just come back from my freshman year of college and, um, I had just been back a couple weeks and my mom for the summer and my mom was, uh, was like, Hey, we're gonna, have you heard about diabetic alert dogs? And I said, no, I, I haven't. What are they? And she starts to kind of explain and, and, you know, I'll get into more detail, but more or less how it was first posed to me was it's a, it's a dog that can tell you your, your blood sugars, um, you know, whether high or low and make sure that you're staying in check and in line and, Wow, that sounds pretty cool. And she goes, yeah, it is pretty cool. Get in the car. We're heading down there right now. Um, just by pure happenstance, the one of what I think is the best diabetic alert dog organization was um, only about an hour drive, maybe from where we were. We were in South Orange County. This was down in Wildemar. Um, so by Temecula, a quick drive, really quick drive. And uh, and all right, so I hop in the car and we're heading down there. And uh we're driving down and I'm, as we get closer, I start to think to myself, well, I, you know, I better, better make sure my blood sugars are good or else I'm going to be pretty embarrassed. You know, like a dog's going to come up and alert me. And I tested and I was a little high, actually. I think I was like 190, um, heading down there. And like, I quickly, you know, tried to correct and, uh, and I'm driving down and kind of hoping it gets, I actually was a little nervous about it. And it actually worked out pretty dang well because, uh, kind of sold us on the whole thing and get out of the car. We're being shown around. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a ranch, big, big open area, um, a, an agility course for the dogs, like a training area, all sorts of stuff going on. And we're being shown around. And, uh, and of course I want to know, you know, I want to know more about the dogs and we're really getting a tour of the facility, which ended up being very important later on. But, um, but at one point in time, I just said like, well, how do they, how do the dogs work? You know, how, how do they, how do they work? And, uh, and the woman showing us around was like, well, turn around. And I like turned around and there was like five or six dogs behind me, not like directly, but really close by me. And she's like, have you, like, have you checked, you know, what your blood sugar is right now? And I was like, I was a little higher earlier, a few minutes ago. And so I went and checked again and I had only come down a few points. So I was still by their, uh, by their classification, still, still, um, still a little high, but you know, from right then there, I'm like, okay, obviously these things, these dogs are dialed in. Um, it's amazing. And, uh, and from there, I just, I knew I really wanted one. Um, the way, well, so, um, I guess to, to kind of step back for a second, the way they work is Cato would tell me if my blood sugar was 75 or below, um, or if it was 170 or above, um, although we kind of dialed that back over time, it was about 165 or above. So it was never when I was actually low and it was never when I was actually high, but it was right where I was starting to get to a point where you, you really should bring that back into, into range. Um, for me, 80 to 120 is where I'm happiest and, uh, and feel comfortable, most comfortable. Um, and for the 11 years I had Cato, I rarely got outside of those, of that kind of boundary. Um, 
the way they train them is pretty interesting. They uh, now, I suppose, I they, I I could be mis-explaining a bit um, the 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 high level overview, I suppose, without getting too technical because um, I don't I don't know exactly. But um, when I was down there, if I had a low blood sugar when I was at home, if I had a low blood sugar, um, they would ask you to basically like stuff your mouth with with like cotton rolls, like the kind they put in your, your mouth at the dentist to absorb that saliva, the way, uh, the way the dog's alert is based on scent, you know, and so hence, hence it being a dog and their, their noses are obviously incredible. Um, and that's the whole idea there is it's all based on scent. Um, as you know, right. When your blood sugar is high, um, you may have, you know, it's uh, supposedly like a, I can't smell. I've had doctors who can, but it's like a sweeter, um, kind of like fermented fruit smell, kind of like alcohol. Um, so for a low, you, you put these cotton swabs in your mouth, you'd throw them in a test tube, freeze them. And then we'd go down there, I think every other Sunday or, or something like maybe it was Tuesday or Thursday. And we'd go down there and I'd hand over my test tubes of, of spit and they'd start training dogs with them. And I, you know, and the dog, they start associating the smell, um, the, the, the trainers help the dog associate the smell with things that are good. So, um, for example, you know, as the dog gets a little older, they'll, uh, put the the cotton swabs in in like a uh, a tennis ball or something and throw the ball for them and uh, other things as well but just different things to reinforce this smell and make sure the smell is something that's exciting to the dog um, as at, all the while they're being trained on obedience as well I mean it is a service dog so you have to be able to bring this dog uh, pretty much anywhere in public without it being a hindrance or an obstruction to just you know everyday life for others um, so they're being trained on obedience they're being trained on on the scent training. Um, and I think the way they finally dial it in uh, over time is they'll, um, they'll rub this cotton swab on a, on like a post-it note or something, get the smell on this post-it note. They'll, they'll put it on, on their leg or their arm, wherever. And the second the dog, uh, they'll, they'll have the dog walk by or they'll be just kind of in everyday life. And the second the dog even shows any, uh, like turns to look at it or shows any interest in the smell, they start to reward the dog. And they start to, to hone that in further and further until finally the way Cato would alert me was uh, whether I was high or low, he would, um, he would just sit beside me very patiently and he would just very gently put a, a paw on my, on my leg. Or if we were, you know, if we were out in public, he'd, he'd um, kind of just like tap my leg and it got to a point, you know, Cato and I developed a relationship. I mean, I really, I was with that dog more than anybody in my life. He was by my side from the second I went to sleep, the second I woke up, I mean, always. And, uh, so it really actually got to a point where I could actually tell by Cato's behavior, although probably, um, probably too, uh, minute of actions or behaviors to tell for others. I, I, I was very sensitive to it just cause I had seen it so often and so many times, um, that oftentimes Cato would not even get to a full alert. He'd be in what they call like a pre-alert, which is like a behavior where they're like almost, almost, um, they're just getting ready to alert you. And, uh, and I'd be like, I got to check my blood and, and, uh, he'd, he'd be right. And then for younger kids who, you know, maybe run the risk of getting scratched by the dog or something, they use a thing called a brinzel. It's, a um, it's a little piece of fabric, um, kind of looks, kind of looks like, uh, when, when people take their dogs, uh, and throw like a toy at the beach that floats in the water, it's mm -hmm. small, it's only a few inches. Um, and it's, it's pretty narrow as well. Um, but that just hooks onto their belt loop by Velcro. And, um, and when the dog is ready to alert the kid, they just pull the, pull off the brinzel. And so the kid or the parent knows 
you know, my child is low or high. And, and then the dogs also a lot of the time are trained to show you low or show you high where they'll bow for a low, kind of raise their head up for a high. Um, but he was faster than my Dexcom at times, especially when my site had been in for a while. He'd sometimes be faster than my Dexcom by 10 to 15 minutes. Um, or if, you know, you're, I'm guilty of this all the time. I like leave my Dexcom in the car, you know, when I go into a meeting or something. Or, um, and so I, I can't hear the alerts and Kato would alert me spot on every time. And I usually have my, my uh, original Omnipod with me where I could test directly on the Omnipod, um, on the PDM, pardon me. And, uh, and there'd be times where I'd be in a, a meeting and, um, and I'd have the door closed and my wife, I'd be at home. I was working from home and, and Cato couldn't necessarily get to me and he'd go start alerting my wife and, uh, telling her like, Hey, he's got a, he's got a check, uh, to a point where my, you know, if, if time allowed, she'd let me finish the meeting, but there was times definitely where she'd poke her head and be like, Hey, have you checked your blood? You know? And, and I, you know, typically, again, it was a good conversation piece. So typically I'd pause the meeting and check my blood. And I mean, honestly, this dog was right all the time. I mean, it was very, very rare that he was wrong. And if he ever was wrong, he just was alerting a little early by a few minutes. And then all of a sudden I'd feel myself getting low again, or I'd start to feel different, um, you know, uh, side effects of, of high blood sugar. Um, he was, he was dialed. It was amazing. Wow. I like have chills all over my body. I'm like, yeah, this is such a like intimate, like so much connection that you had with Cato. And even just hearing that whole experience of like how they train them again, that, that blows my mind that you can put your saliva on a cotton swab (laughs) or whatever. And then they can smell that and detect and like really be trained. Like that is so powerful that they can do that. And, you know, your experience and just, I feel like you're very knowledgeable of like the whole experience that you had and how it went. Cause you said you had him for 10 years, right? 10 years. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think if you're with anyone that amount of time every single day, yeah. It's like you guys were reading each other. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. By all means. I mean, it really got to a point again, these dogs were trained very well from a behavior perspective as well. Um, I mean, there's, they're totally fine. Like it's any, when the, when their vest isn't on, uh, at least for Cato, I mean, a very playful, super fun, energetic dog and just loved to, you know, wrestle and play tug of war and and fetch. I mean, that dog could fetch for hours on end. Um, And then when the vest goes on, they just know it's time to work. You know, they know they've now stepped into their office and we're going to go into a public place Um, or on an airplane, you know, or I would travel with him fly. I mean, every day, gosh, I would take him into my college courses. And then after college, once I got a job, he was coming to offices with me into my own office to meetings. Um, I mean, when they, when they put the vest on, they just, they know they're, they're, they're stepping into work. And, um, and typically he would just be a little more relaxed. And, and as time went on, it really, it was a, it was a, uh, a team truly um, that he and I uh, where when I first had him, you know, I would tell him to sit or stay, whatever it may have been verbally or, or you know, with a with like a hand cue. Uh, but truly, as time went on, it would like be a look. Like I would just give him a look, and he knew, okay, I got to sit or like I'm I, like I'm not exaggerating at all. It really <laughs> oh, became I believe that you. <laughs> dialed of a of a partnership between he and I. 
Um, and the same was true for him. I mean, he would have small little gestures that, you know, my wife or even others close to me wouldn't, wouldn't pick up on and be like, Oh, he's got to go, you know, he got to go out to the bathroom or he, he needs to go play for a little bit. He's getting angsty. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, what did, what did you, he just moved his paw, you know, whatever. Like, no, that's, that's how it starts, you know? And, um, but it really was, it, we really were a great team. It really was a team effort for sure. And, um, amazing. I mean, uh, a story I love to share about Cato is, uh, when I first got him, it takes a little bit of time, I think, um, to, for the dog to kind of familiarize your, themselves with your scent, with your smell. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first got him, he would alert, although it was sometimes a little late or he would maybe miss an alert. This was like the first day or two. Um, and so like, and we, they had told us like, yeah, that may happen. It doesn't always happen, but it may happen. It just takes a minute, you know? Um, and some dogs may not take to your smell particularly either, like your scent. Um, and so you, I I don't want to speak for the organization, but from what I understand, like you may be able to try, try other dogs, Uh, you know, Cato and I developed a partnership right away. But one of my favorite stories about Cato is like day three um, of having Cato. I'm still so excited to have this diabetic alert dog and have a dog that I put a vest on and, you know, going into a restaurant, I'm walking in like, yeah, I've got a dog with me, you know, walking into like a really nice restaurant. I thought that was amazing. I never really actually got over that piece. That was always really fun to walk into a restaurant and like have everyone staring at you and whatnot. (laughs) Um, but about third day with Cato, um, I'm asleep and, uh, it was also really fun. I find like I, I, growing up as a kid, I never was allowed to have a dog sleep in my bed, you know? And as I got older, I could see why, I mean, my bed was always full of dog hair, um, but so worth it. And I loved having him in my bed. And, um, so I wake up to Cato standing over me. I mean, like inches away from my face, just staring over me. And I'm like, this is weird. You know, it's like 6 a.m. I'm looking at Cato and I can like, yeah, it's just really weird. And I'm like, tell him to I feel like feel fine. I check my decks. I'm fine. I'm like 100 or 110 or something. I'm like what? You know, lay back, lay back down. You know, go, go to sleep, man. It's way too early. And, uh, and then I fall back asleep. And a few minutes later, Cato is back over my face again. I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is wild and uh and he's kind of waiting there and waiting there and i'm thinking i should probably test my blood and as i kind of have that thought he takes his little paw and he like kind of pats me on the chest like his true alerts like he's now it's he's probably been standing over me for a good no joke like 10 15 minutes and uh and he pats me on the chest and i test i you know like all right so i kind of roll over grab my tester and i test my blood and i was 75 on the money like on the money so he had been wait, he had been waiting for my blood sugar to hit that point, and um, I mean on, on the money, and and then you know it's literally was whatever, not even six thirty yet, and I was like so excited. I thought it was the coolest thing. I'm like I have all this energy. I'm like going waking up my mom, telling my mom about it. Like I thought it was incredible, and it, it is incredible. That um, yeah, that is so incredible, and. Wow. I feel like he was like ready for work. He was like, I'm, exactly up. Right. I'm ready to go. Like trying to tell you what's going on here. Yeah. And, you know, how long does he alert you until like your blood sugar's back in range? So it was, I, it was every 10 minutes for a low, um, until my blood sugar came back. It was every 10 minutes for a low. It honestly may have been sooner than that, but, um, you know, when he, when I first got him, but for he and I, it basically became 10 minutes for a low. Um, for it to come up. And then for a high, it was, you know, almost 
30 minutes, 45 minutes ish, um, to, for a re-alert, probably about 45 for a re-alert, um, until I, I came back down now when he was younger, I mean, you still, you know, these, they're still, they still have their own personalities. They're still puppies. And there would totally be times where he would try to like re-alert me right away. He's like, I'm gonna get treats for this, you know? And like I test, I'd be low, I treat him. And then just, he'd be right back at my, at my side again, kind of pawing at me. Uh, to realer and that, and as he got older and as he like matured more into like an adult dog, um, that became less and less, but it was kind of cute back, back <laughs> in the day. He was totally like a little sneaky guy trying to alert me. Oh, um, that's yeah, so but- cute. This is so fun to hear. Honestly, like I can just see like in your smile, like how much you're like lighting up, just like talking about the experience and talking about him and your relationship. I just can, I'm like envisioning like all of your guys' times together. And it makes me really happy to know that you had, you know, a person or, you know, an animal or just someone that was just so supportive and was with you and caring and there was like no questions, you know, they're just like, Hey, I'm here to support you. And whatever the situation is and wherever you went, he was willing to go. And I think that is such a cool experience. I don't, you know, it's like, I've never had an experience like that with like a person or let alone like an animal or, you know, someone or something that was just with me all the time. So to have totally. that, yeah. And those memories and, you know, he's like saving your life, you know, every day he was there to just make sure that you were okay. And I think that is such a reassuring and like loving action that they do and you know it's like hey I got chosen to be this kind of dog and I'm ready yeah he was there you know for you know finals in college all the way to you know the birth of my first my wedding the birth of my first kid I mean it was he was there for everything it was just an extension of of myself um and he yeah he loved to go everywhere I mean it really was from whether it was a you know like I said a college classroom to to um, you know, the, the hospital for, well, my wife gave birth to our son, our first son to, uh, you know, we'd go hiking, he'd come to the beach with us. They, they trained him so well that the first time I ever got on a flight with Cato, um, we're boarding the plane and I had called them the day before. I was like, all right, how do I, how do I do this? What do I do? And, and I kid you not, she, uh, the woman who had trained him said like, he's got it. Like, don't even worry about it. And then she did walk me through it, but her first words were like, he's got it. Don't worry about it. And then she just told me what to expect more or less. And it was exactly that we were boarding the plane and this dog's like, you know, ready, you know, we, we get on the plane and he's, uh, we're, we're walking down to where the seat is. And once I stopped to where our, our seat is, he just immediately knew which I was facing the direction of, of our seat. And he just walks into between the seats and finds that little spot where you put your, your carry on underneath. And he's a big dog. I mean, he was like 70 pounds, 65, 70 pounds and big dog. And he just curled up in this little ball and scooted his way under there to where his little head was popping out. And I mean, when we got off the plane, people around us were saying, I had no idea there was even a dog on this plane. I had no (laughs) idea. We just flew with the dog or I'd get up at a restaurant and, and same thing. He would just curl up in this little ball and scoot under the table and we'd be leaving and I, how often I would hear, I had no idea. We had just been sitting next to a dog. Like there's a dog there. I had no idea, you know, and people are, you know, talking to them, to their, whoever they're with, but you, you hear it. And yeah. it was a compliment, you know, it was a compliment and it just really goes to show you how, how well-trained these dogs are. And, um, and uh, yeah, he, he was by all means an extension of myself and came with me everywhere. Yeah. Very. Yeah. It's just so impressive. Kato's like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> Yeah, He's totally. Coming up into it. like a little donut on the floor. <laughs> he had it. Yeah, that's awesome. He stayed down there the whole flight. 
Wow. Yeah. That's like, that's wild. You know, and I can't even think of a flight where I've seen a service dog like on a flight with me before. And maybe there was, but I didn't notice it because they're just kind of like blending in with everyone else. And And that's how it should be, right? They're they're trained to be um, nearly invisible, you know, obviously to everyone else other than myself or to to those that they're performing the service for, whatever it may be. Um, But they're trained to be invisible and that's how they should be. I mean, really, he, um, we'd go out to eat, you know, he wasn't there to obstruct anyone else's meal or, or the business or the restaurant's opportunity to, to make money. And, um, and that's exactly how he, what he was trained to do. He just was, he was invisible. And if, if my, you know, if my, uh, my blood sugar was off, he was, he was letting me know. Yeah. And so like how often, you know, you had him for years, like how often were you communicating with like the original like trainers like that organization was it like Mm -hmm. often or is it like here's your dog he's ready you're set sure so the line of communication was always open um and there were various questions along the way but after those that first i would say maybe year two years um and even even in that timeline of, of a year to two years like the communication needed became less and less um because it really is, these dogs are so, I, I forget exactly what the statistic is, but a lot of the reason, a lot of the time, a service dog basically can't perform its service anymore, or becomes disobedient is because the trainer is no longer instilling, uh, pardon me, the, the person that they've been paired with is no longer instilling what they've been trained what, to these dogs, right? They're letting these dogs um get away with, when I say get away, it sounds so, so much more strict than it was, but you know, for example, if you're walking through the mall and, you know, someone's got, uh, you know, eating a hot dog, right. And you're walking by them and you've got your dog. I mean, these dogs are trained to not even really even react to that hot dog, nor should they, again, they're supposed to be invisible. Um, but I think so often do people let their dog take an inch and then over time that inch becomes a mile. Um, and next thing you know, that dog's no longer really capable of going out appropriately in public or, or perhaps they, whatever the service may be, um, that they're providing to these people, they don't, uh, they don't rely on the dog enough and the dog, it's like a muscle, you know, the dog doesn't exercise that muscle enough and kind of loses it. So as far as communication with them went, um, it, 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 it's again, open line of communication as much as I needed, but as long as I was continuing to, to train with Cato and work with Cato, um, he was so well-trained that it really, as, as time went on, it, it never, I, 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 I no longer needed to reach out. Now they'd reach out for his birthday and whatnot. And, you know, they, they develop a relationship with these dogs as well, of course. Um, and so I'd always on his birthday, get cute videos and pictures of Cato as a puppy and, and whatnot, because for the first few years of these dogs' lives, they're spending, you know, time with the trainers. It's all obedience and, and scent training. Yeah. Um, and it's only until the dog has, you know, checked all the boxes on what, what they feel it takes to, to be a, a service dog under their, under their, um, requirements. Does that dog then get paired with somebody? Um, so again, line of communication was always there, but as time went on, it just, there was just no need. He was so, he was so dialed in. And then I'd have certain questions about small things or, you know, whether there was better things to feed him or, or whatnot. And, and so th- then I could ask that, but, uh, but overall it, it was, um, you know, and you develop a relationship with these trainers as well. Like we were wishing them happy birthdays and, <laughs> and whatnot. Like you become friends with them totally. Um, so that really was the extent of the conversation after, after a while there, it just was little check-ins here and there. 
Yeah. And that's great. I feel like that makes you feel comfortable too. Cause I mean, it is, it is a big, um, step to have, you know, this dog come in your family, be with you every single day. So knowing that you have that communication with the ones that trained him, who also created like a family for him is so like reassuring for you to be like, okay, if I am in a pickle or if I'm not sure about how to approach something, at least I have Mm -hmm. some guidance along the way. And it totally makes sense that they would need to practice, you know, what they were taught to do in like work so that they can continue to be as like effective as they were meant to be. And I think it's special that one, they're also, you know, they're trained to help you support you. But then on the other side of that, they also can be that playful, fun dog in your life and in your family. And I think it's really cool that Cato kind of saw a lot of years of you just like growing, you know, starting off like college student to then, you know, dating, getting married, having a baby, starting your family, like that is Absolutely. special. And yeah, I'm, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. I, I, I just, before you, you can, I, I'm, I'm really glad you had brought up the, um, you know, that he at the same time was this playful dog because really the dynamic of the relationship was I have really at, at the, at the foundation of it all, a, a, a life-saving piece of equipment here. It never, it never happened, but they were, the dogs were trained to where if I was unresponsive, I had hit a low and, you know, gotten so low. And as a kid, I had, I had actually been at a point with my dad where he got so low that he was, he didn't know where he was. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know where I was. And I was a kid. And it was like, I remember it clear as day still, it was really a scary time. Um, luckily I've never been in that point in my life, but these dogs are trained and I've heard of instances where other people who have the dogs have, have gotten there, but these dogs are trained to where, um, if I was unresponsive, they are trained to go get somebody else. And I think the clo- the closest thing that ever happened to was, you know, the door being closed while I was in a meeting and still politely and gently, he went to go alert my wife, um, uh, went to go alert my life. Now, granted, obviously these circumstances happen under much more detrimental, uh, detrimental things, but, but the dog is, is trained to, to go get somebody should you not be able to help yourself. And at the same time that you have this life-saving piece of, of equipment, you have a best friend, you know, you, you really do. You have like this, um, I would say most people, not everyone, but most people have experienced at some point in time, whether it's their own dog or a friend's dog, you know, they, they've experienced what that looks like and how that, that relationship between a person and their dog is, um, is a special thing, you know, for a lot of people, it, it really is. And certainly that is, that, that's no exception here, right? At the same time that this dog was da- on a daily basis, saving my life, keeping me in check and like always had an eye out for me. I mean, it really was going to work every day with my best friend and, you know, going out to dinner and always had him by my side. Um, and that is a really special dynamic. So I'm glad you had brought that back up because it was, it is something that a lot of people don't fully understand. I think it's one or the other to a lot of people from uh, observing from from the outside that either this is a service dog, right? You see them and going through the line at a, at a, uh, at a grocery store or something. Mm-hmm. And um, I, cause I had, I had been guilty of that before getting Cato, like, Oh, that's a service dog. And you know, maybe subconsciously or more consciously than I'm willing to admit. I, I don't know. I, I probably imagined something along the lines of like that dog comes out, he works, it goes back home and he goes to sleep, you know, and yeah. like, it's even like this at home. But in reality, it's, it's not true at all. I mean, he was, just as energetic and just as playful and just as fun, if not more so, quite honestly, than any other dog I had in the past who who was not a service dog. Um, so that was a really, really special dynamic. That's definitely what I miss most was just uh, 
was that exact dynamic and that dynamic. Um, you know, I, I just, I explained it as two pieces, but as time goes on and you really develop that teamwork and that partnership with these dogs, it really does mesh into one where it's, it's all happening all at once. You know, it's, it's this at the same time that these dogs are, are saving you and looking out for you at the same time, you know, you're even with his vest on, you know, I loved, I loved that dog and was always going to be under my desk at work and, you know, having a, a stressful call, a bad day, whatever, even a good day, you know, celebrating wins with me as well. You know, just have always under my desk, you give him a pet or, you know, rub his ears, whatever. And it's just like, it's a comforting thing. And at the same time that that's all happening, they're your best friends. Yeah. Oh, I love this. And I think, you know, you being able to share this experience and you're, you're really, you know, celebrating his life. And I think it's really special for you too, because I'm sure, you know, going through the process of having him pass and then grieving your best friend and this, you know, big part of your life for such a long time. I can only imagine. And it like actually makes me want to cry just thinking about, you know, what that was like for you. But I think this is so special and you're getting to celebrate his life in such an amazing way. And so many voices and so many people are going to listen to this and get inspired to do something like this or have, you know, a partner have that kind of friendship with, you know, their dog or a service animal, because, you know, someone like me, I, I didn't know anyone who, I didn't know what this experience was like. Maybe I've heard about it, you know, from friends, but really hearing this experience like firsthand, honestly, it's very emotional. Like, I'm like, wow, this is like a full body experience. Like, I feel like this is something that at least in my lifetime, I would like to experience. Cause I think it is very special to have that and have that partnership with someone and yeah, really diabetes like is, you know, every day, minute to minute, second to second, something that we're living with all of the time. And to have someone be there with you in it um, at such like a deep level, I think is just nothing can beat that. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. I think, you know, so much of of diabetes is a a team effort. You know, you you have to lean into your sports. And it's something I brought up at the beginning of the call, Um, you know, as as a kid, really leaning into my my mom like that. And it really does take a team to keep you healthy and, you know, whether you realize it or not. And, um, that's absolutely right. Cato, you know, kind of joined that team and more or less became the captain after a while there. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I'm the right man. I'm the right hand man now. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Oh man. That is so cool. I wish I could talk to Cato, hear more stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got, yeah. Too many to share. Too yeah. Many to share. It's, so it's great. And I love this. You're right. It is a team and, the more support we have, the more comfortable and quality of life that we truly have. And it all just blends into one and it just becomes, you know, our normal day to day. And I think, you know, and sometimes when people, even when I meet someone, they're like, oh, you have type one diabetes. I think it doesn't register to them, like how the experience is really in every part of our life, like every single area. It's not just like, oh, you know, I put in insulin when I eat. It's like, you know, I wake up, I have to think about this Mm -hmm. all throughout the day when I'm going to the meeting, when I'm going to the bathroom, you know, it's like, we're constantly thinking about it. Even when we're working out, it's like, you know, it's, it's an all day kind of thing. And it's really hard to explain sometimes, but to have people that understand and are just like loving to support you in it with you is what makes it, you know, manageable and you really get that like deeper relationship with your diabetes to a place where it's just part of you and it doesn't feel so separate anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And once you can get to that point is when things do become so much easier, right. And just so much, um, it just, it's such a, it's a much more natural, 
process and the man it's no longer the management of your diabetes but just just your data your normal day-to-day it's not a so getting to that point of, of building that healthy relationship with with your disease i think is is absolutely critical yeah yeah well, thank you. Is there any other stories or anything you want to share? Any words of wisdom you want to share with all the listeners? This is your time. Yeah. All right. Uh, gosh, if, if if I get started on more stories, we'll be here far longer than anyone's willing to, to listen. But um, as far as advice goes, I mean, someone who's had it, had diabetes for type one diabetes for, for 24 years now, I think um, as I've gotten older, again, just leaning, looking back at the support system I've had along the way is so critical. And, um, and just perhaps it's not advice on how to manage any better than you're doing now or differently than you're doing now, but really just, just taking a moment to thank those around you. Because I think looking back, I, diabetes, like you had just said, is something that we're thinking about constantly from waking up and whether it's traveling and, and, or eating all that goes into it. It's a daily, it's on your mind constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those around you, often the, the ones closest to you, whether it be a friend or a spouse or, or a parent or anything, a sibling, um, it, it's on their minds as well. A lot of the time, especially for those you get really close with. Um, and just if you, if you have someone around you that does, uh, support you and helps you with the management of your, of your disease. And, um, it's, it's definitely worth a, worth a thank you. I think at times, you know, self self subconsciously, we can be a little selfish, right. And not really realize, um, cause we're, we're worrying about ourselves rightfully. So, mm-hmm. but looking back, I, you know, I think about, you know, what my mom has done for me, what my wife has done for me, you know, my friends along the way, um, you know, Cato, and it, it, I think it does warrant a, a thank you for sure. Um, and just some appreciation to, to those who help you. Um, I, I suppose I'll, I will leave with, with a single story here, uh, just kind of, kind of, uh, speaking a little further to, to that support along the way, but, um, I was in second grade and, uh, and like you had mentioned before, a lot of people don't understand what, what type one diabetes really entails. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my second, I told my teacher that I had low blood sugar. And, um, I'm, and this was in public school. Um, I'm pretty sure she was educated on it more or less. And, and I, I do, I do remember my mom having spoke with her at the beginning of the year. Now we're towards the end of the year here. And I, I had low blood sugar. I let her know I was low and she was, and I told her I needed to eat. And she told, she said, I couldn't, she said, no, you can't eat in the classroom. And, and, um, you got to like finish this assignment more or less. And, uh, luckily I was always my best friend. Uh, his name was Tommy. And, uh, he knew even in second grade, he knew just from having been around me my whole life, what, what diabetes really entailed type one diabetes really entailed. And, uh, Tommy, you know, even though he was scolded and told not to got, got up, I remember clear as day, walked out the door, went and got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich outside in from his own backpack and walked it in and like slapped it down on my desk. And we're both in there getting, not, we weren't getting yelled at, but like told not to eat it. And I'm snacking on a peanut butter jelly sandwich. And, you know, in that moment, you know, who knows how bad it could have gotten, but Tommy, Tommy saved my life, you know, and, uh, and, uh, that's a story he and I are so great friends. And that's a story he and I share, I share often and still laugh about a lot, but, um, but yeah, it really does take a, really does take a team. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a tough disease to, to manage on your own. And that's why I think, again, what you're doing, creating a community for others, um, so that they can have access to that support is, is amazing. 
Oh, yeah. We all need a Tommy and a Cato on our side. Yeah, no I love doubt. that story. No <laughs> that, that was a great story. I remember, you know, when you're younger, it's like the rules were really like strict. You know, you totally. couldn't drink your water. You had to ask to go to the bathroom. You know, it's so different. Oh, my gosh. So, Especially fact- as a kid. She said, no, I couldn't eat. And I was like, I'm all right. This is where it ends. This is in this yeah. chair. Yeah, seriously. And yeah. that's so cool that he was like, you know what? I know what my friend needs and I'm going to break the rule and that's okay because I'm helping him out and saving his life. I think that, I mean, that is a good, good friend. You know, he was willing, he was willing to get a, I don't know, what are the things we used to get when we would get in trouble at school? Like no recess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, what it are almost, the rules? It, honestly, it almost came down to it. It almost came down to it. And uh, <laughs> my mom, I told my mom what happened and she, she definitely made sure to give Tommy some praise and let the teacher know how that should probably be handled next time. And, um, so it all ended up great, but, but yeah, that's, uh, just, uh, another, another little piece of looking back and realizing like along the way, how important, you know, the team that's been around me has been. Yeah. And I agree. I think, uh, giving that acknowledgement and like credit to those who are in it with us day to day. And yeah, I mean, my fiance, same thing. I, I think, you know, since the day he started dating me to now it's been, you know, three years and I'm like, you know, just him saying yes to like everything that it entailed and he went full in, like wanted to learn everything about type one diabetes. He's always been so supportive and just, you know, in my corner. And that makes such a big difference, but it's so day to day for us that, yeah, we forget. I'm like, wow, Michael's sitting there looking at my Dexcom graph (laughs) and he's like, Hey, what, what happened here? You know, and he's willing to just like troubleshoot with me and yeah, it's great. And I agree, you know, thank you to everyone who's, you know, supported all of us along the way, whether, yeah, yeah, it's family, friends, a coworker, a boss, you know, all of that, it really does make a difference and makes it absolutely does. <laughs> it absolutely does. I, I, I'm sure there's been other people on here who can give far better advice than I can, but the, the little piece of advice I would give is make sure you love your, your endocrinologist. I, I think that is critical. I think once I found the endocrinologist I have now, my relationship with diabetes just became like I was excited, you know, to go in for my quarterly, you know, checkup and and whatnot. Like I, I still am excited to go see her. She's awesome. Um, but I think from a management perspective, other people can give some probably great advice and they, you know, we've all probably heard it before, but, uh, from, if you can find a good endo, I think that is a, a huge, just again, building out on that team is a huge piece of, of setting yourself up for success. Oh yeah, I agree. I think when you can have like a space like that, that feels empowering when you're in the doctor's conversation or like a part of that conversation with your endocrinologist, it makes such a difference. I agree. I don't think I would be where I am today if I didn't have an endocrinologist I had in San Diego. She just opened me up to what pumps were, what a Dexcom was, like a CGM and just that there were these communities of people and organizations that were getting together and having conversations about being a type one diabetic again, changes the game for you and makes yeah. a really big difference. So I think that's yeah, absolutely. Cool. yeah. Great advice. Well, Chris, this was so fun and I really, really enjoyed being able to learn more about you, your story, your life with Cato and his life and all these like stories and memories. I think it was really special and I feel really moved and I look forward to us connecting again in the future and Absolutely. Yeah. Keep us posted with your life. And I know you had said you're thinking about getting another dog possibly. So I'd love to, to meet him or her if that comes up and yeah, we will talk soon. You got it. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Really fun to be here with you. Yeah, it was great. All right. All right. Bye.